Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. It is my great pleasure to welcome Matt Wright to the show. Welcome, Matt. Thank you, Jeremy. Pleasure to be here. Matt is a sales director at Sneak, that is spelled S-N-Y-K, and Sneak helps developers incorporate security earlier into their development life cycle. We're not going to be talking about much coding, although I tend to like to talk about coding sometimes. We're going to be talking about sales. And since Matt is an enterprise account executive, we're going to talk about best practices for becoming uh, a successful AE. And I came across Matt because I have been on a tear asking sales leaders who are the best AEs in your company, and here we are. So congrats, Matt, on being nominated. Before we do our usual thing, Matt actually listened to a couple of episodes, which I'm guilty of not doing enough, and reminded me of the question I used to ask way, way back when. So he brought me back in time, which was some combination of like the first thing you remember selling and how did that lead you into enterprise sales? So uh, Matt, I'm going to throw you that question. Yeah. So I was a senior at University of Maryland. History and secondary education was what I majored. And I knew I didn't want to go that route. And so I wanted to get into sales. And so I took this kind of gig where I was selling LSAT prep courses uh, just from one individual leader. And it was a very binary commission scale. So basically, if I signed up 12 people, I would get $5,000. And if I didn't, I didn't. But I sounded like good money at the time. And so I would go to all the local campuses, University of Maryland, Georgetown, American, GW, and just hang out in the library, pass out flyers, talk to people who are interested. Uh, I signed up a few people, but it made me realize very quickly, not anything against the grind, but that uh, LSAT prep world wasn't for me. So quickly from there, I transitioned into software sales. And I went first to Memory Blue, which is an outsourced BDR firm. Uh, and their focus is specifically on high-tech companies. So I was super lucky to be involved with some really good clients my first year, cybersecurity clients, mobile business intelligence. That second year, I was actually selling the Memory Blue services to high-tech customers. And so that gave me a really good vantage point for interesting industries, companies that sounded like they had good ratios of sales reps to BDRs to SEs. And you could kind of walk through how you could think about things from a VP of sales standpoint. So I had that sort of background. And immediately from there, I knew I wanted to try to get as high as possible, quickly as possible in the sales world. And I wanted to go specifically for, this was, I guess, 2013 at the time. So big data and cybersecurity were two really hot topics. And so I was able to find myself a cybersecurity company, started there as a BDR or inside sales rep is what they called it. And the person who I was supporting from the enterprise side ended up getting let go about a month after I joined. And the VP of sales came to me and said, hey, we're going to build this channel around the inside sales reps and BDRs. We're really looking at you as kind of a cornerstone from that. And I said, put me in the enterprise sales role. I guarantee you I'll be the best sales rep you have this year. And he took a flyer on me. And then a few months after, they were let go. And so then I leveraged that to stay in the enterprise space. So super lucky. And uh, it, it turned out that it was a positive experience. And now just given my age, I still have about eight years of enterprise tech sales. But I mean, part of that is hungry mouse, you got to feed. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, let's say that you are an enterprise sales manager. Would you hire SDRs directly into enterprise sales roles? knowing now what you know? 
it really depends on the company size. And that's why, so when I talk to BDRs, I, I think there's a few different routes you can take. You can certainly go the path of going with like a bigger company, like a Salesforce or an Oracle or, you know, an SAP that has a huge presence and sales team and you can work your way up from the bottom. But if you're looking at kind of that enterprise sales space, it might take you legitimately about 15 to 20 years to get there. Whereas if you do have just kind of a background in inside sales, maybe even just a few years and you find a company that's at a series A or a seed round and they're looking for their first North American sales rep, they're looking for the first hire from a VP of sales. You can escalate your career quickly by doing that, but it's a lot riskier. So in my opinion, you, you build the baseline of kind of that skill set as quickly as possible on the inside sales route, generating your own meetings. And as long as you have a good, healthy pipeline, you can kind of figure it out along the way, but you got to be super, super hungry uh, to go do it and do it successfully. I was pretty terrified earlier in my career of, of losing a job, right? And 20, 30 years ago, it wasn't quite employment for life, but you, know, you, you were pretty much expected to be at a place five or more years. Is it a big risk for people to do what you just described to, you know, to go into a series A or pre-series A company and maybe get a bigger job than they would at a Salesforce or an Oracle? What is the real risk of doing that? Personally, I think the risk is low. And one of, one of the ways that some friends of mine would describe me is uh, very, very confident, incredibly paranoid. And I think a lot of sales reps are that way. I'm always scared of missing my number or getting fired or not having enough experience to do the next thing. I, I, I think that sort of self-recognition is important. But what's funny about that is at the age of 23, I was probably way less scared and more confident and less skillful than I am now. Um, so it's something that you kind of learn with age. But I personally don't think it's that risky because once you have the skills and you put yourself in an environment where you have the ability to just learn at such a drastic pace, that's going to be way more beneficial, even if you do fail, as opposed to staying in a role that you're super successful with, that doesn't give you as much upside or ability to explore or grow. So I, I'm a huge advocate of pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. Um, and I think it's something that's benefited me throughout my career. When you were talking about your paranoia and, and sort of poking the prospect about things you're worried about, are those preempting objections or are they other types of things? If you reflect, say, on a recent deal where you where you did that, what was the situation? I think it's more asking for things that aren't necessarily preempting objections. And, and like the, the way I would kind of separate the two, if I'm understanding correctly. So like time frame, for example, that's something that you want to be optimistic about, but you need to know the answer of it. So if they truly don't have budget until, let's say, December, and you're forecasting it for June, that's a huge misstep. Whereas if it's something that maybe is a small feature that you know is a, a weak point and you're prodding about that and you're saying, well, how big of a deal is this? That's something that I do think is important. But if you over ask or kind of frame it the wrong way, that could turn a, a small problem into a bigger problem. But the things like timing, budget, whether this is a person that buys enterprise software, I think that those are more the glaring questions that sometimes don't get asked that are absolutely necessary and can only help you in a deal as opposed to hurt you. Got it. Got it. Let's shift gears a little bit and uh, love to learn about how you learned to be an effective account executive. And I find one good way to do that is to chat about people that you observed 
in your existing company at Sneak or at any of the prior places you've worked at, is it, does anyone come to mind who was just head and shoulders, top performer, winner circle, president's club, whatever it's called, that just year after year, not just a, a one-year fluke, but but a consistent top performer? I've been lucky enough to surround myself with really good sales leaders and really good direct sales reps. So one of my best friends who I worked with at Recorded Future comes to mind. Uh, and she does a really, really good job of utilizing her internal network. She's just fantastic about bringing in other resources on the product side or on the marketing side. Uh, she's actually on the federal side at Recorded Future. And so there's a lot of uniqueness to the ideas of what works for federal may not work for a commercial and so forth. And just having the ability and the awareness to bring certain people into deals I think that's been something that's been hugely beneficial and something that I've learned from recognizing how she utilizes some of her internal resources. And if I think about another employee, and I've seen a lot of folks do it at Sneak, but also at Recorded Future, the external network is huge as well. So for the cybersecurity space, there's thousands of products. And for anybody who's listening, who's been to an RSA or a Black Hat, there's just so many different products out there. But there's usually some staples out there, some cornerstone products that people leverage as their security. So utilizing something like a Palo Alto Networks or utilizing something like a CrowdStrike or a ServiceNow, like there's some big players out there and having the ability to recognize that somebody's using a Rapid7 or a Trend Micro, for example, and saying, hey, that product integrates well with us and some of the reps that I've seen do this well are able to compare notes and bring some of those other technologies that are kind of cornerstones for some of these cybersecurity purchases uh, into the fold and bring those reps in and compare notes, but also utilize them to help leverage for a deal and make sure the partnership's successful. Did the buyers expect you to have in-depth technical knowledge? And I would assume you hit a wall. What do you do when you hit that wall with the types of questions you get asked? I think from the seller's angle, the thing that they really expect is they expect you to have anecdotal evidence of success. If you come into a call and you don't have stories about like-minded customers, people that have the same sort of products and the integration points, how they were able to sell it to their management and, and why that made them look good, it's the things like that. And so as, as a rep, you need to be armed with anecdotal evidence of how you've made other customers successful and then why these folks should trust you with that same journey. For newer reps or reps who transition to new companies, coming up with those war stories can be pretty difficult. What are some techniques that you have to get up to speed quickly so that you have those stories ready to go when you engage customers? I listen to a ton of sales calls. <laughs> it, it's way, way more interesting for me to listen in real time or you know with a recording. So it's invaluable because I want to hear how our pitch is received by customers. I want to hear the questions that they're asking and our responses to it, and then how that's received. I want to hear how prospects get confused. <laughs> I want to hear the stuff that they really resonate with. I, I think, so one of the more interesting things about my current company is we pitch based off of the things that we would expect customers to like. And I think coming into it, I was a little bit skeptical just because a lot of what we position is the idea of a certain persona, in this case, developers just absolutely love the product and they love the product. And that was something that 
gets reiterated all the time. And, you know, that's something easily said when you're internal and you're saying like, hey, the customers love us and this and that. And, and so I was a little bit skeptical. But when you listen to the customers, that's truly a differentiator. The customers absolutely love the product. And it's something that when you say that to some other customers, their current vendors, they, they do have issues with. And, and so it, it's something where you need to listen to those calls because otherwise, if you're simply just pitching a message that's been talked about from sales leaders or marketing or a combination of the two, you know, you need that immediate feedback. And sometimes the message resonates like it did in my case. Um, and other times you need to adapt and, and change the messaging. As you reflect on your own deals, are most of the ones that are closing self-sourced as opposed to SDR sourced? And is there something different about that? Uh, for, for me, no. I think there's certainly a higher percentage of inbound versus outbound. Like if somebody is raising their hands and they're interested in our company and our product, that has got to have a higher percentage of close rate. For BDR versus my self-sourced meetings, I get more quantity and quality probably from my BDR. And I'm still going out and doing my own as well. But I'm a huge proponent of teaching my SDR whatever I can so that they can be successful. And I fully expect my SDR or BDR to move on to a, a closing role. I expect that. And I expect I'll need to do the same for my next. And then I expect them to move on to a closing role. And that's what's happened in the past. I think I recorded Future. I had two, if not three uh, within the span, I was there, move on to closing roles. The one I work with now, I've worked with uh, for about a year, and I expect them to do great things. So like, I, I put a lot of time training my SDRs so that they can be the most successful. The, the quality is very high, and maybe it's an anomalous situation, but at least for me. What's the division of responsibility you like to have between you and the SDR? And then how deep do they stay with you? on deals, right? A lot of SDRs will sort of source the first meeting and that's their job. But in enterprise, it can be different. So I'm curious how you like to work with your SDRs. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I certainly include my BDR in everything because I want him to be as prepared as possible for when he takes the next step. Probably not some of the procurement things. Like it looks a little odd if you have, you know, four people represented on one side and then one procurement person on the other. So that Probably not, but um, for the demos and for the technical calls, for the proof of concepts, I do like my BDR to be with me for those meetings so that they have as much experience as possible and they can leverage that as best as they can to move on to the next role. For some of the division of responsibility, I want my BDR to be doing it full time on the outbound prospecting. So I expect that they'll probably have about 90% of the outbound that's coming in and me probably 10. Once a meeting has been surfaced, I can usually leverage that to try to get higher and wider with some specific and very tailored approach. But I still have the BDR still doing a lot of that outbound as well. I look at it as a very team oriented sport and they're a member of the team and try to build them up as much as possible. And now that's a resource that, you know, uh, for the company and for myself as well. I'm curious for you, as you reflect on your, your selling career, like what was the deal that got away from you and what would you have done differently to bring that in? Yeah, uh, the ones that I remember back as as ones that were particularly painful are ones that you got through the entire process. Like you literally got, and, and this has happened a few times where I get through tech eval, I get through the business justification. I'm in with a person that should have the authority to pull the trigger. We have an MSA completed 
and something stalls and it stalls for a variety of reasons. Um, there's two particular that I can remember, but one is that we couldn't, maybe we weren't high enough. And another is maybe priorities changed. And I think in retrospect, I would have done, and I certainly gave my best effort trying to pin this down, but I would have really tried to keep firmer timelines on when we were getting to close and make sure there was mutual agreement to that. Uh, Because in, in each of them, when we missed deadlines, and I think when you get far enough in a sales process, it's understandable because you don't want to be that desperate sales rep that when a procurement call is missed on a Friday that you sit the weekend and then you're just blowing up procurement and sending three notes a day. You don't want to be that rep, but it's certainly a red flag. And then when it pushes to a week, what do you do then? So I think getting ahead of that w- would have been interesting. I, I wonder in retrospect if, if those deals were to close, but, but frankly, usually getting high enough and not sticking to deadlines are probably the two things. And luckily, luckily that hasn't happened in the past, I'd say three years, but certainly earlier in my career. Yeah. Those are the ones I think about. <laughs> There's a few companies out there that have taken the workflow concept, right? The, the Jira Monday Trello concept, and they're starting to apply that into the mutual plan world. So the idea, as I understand it is, you know, you set up a mutual plan with the customer, it's got, you know, let's say it has their language in there, but in theory, I guess the customer would go in and and update status and it would send them email nudges just like any workflow. Is that something that would you think would help or would it would it stand in between you and the and the prospect? At first glance, I think I love it. I'm a big fan of DocuSign and and I like DocuSign for the immediate implications, but I also like DocuSign with the idea of like where their company is going and like maybe they could actually help take red lines from a 45-day process down to a 15-day process. If there was something that could help you speed up deals, I'm super open to that idea. Yeah, nice. What Where, where people have objections sometimes is they'll, they'll, they'll say the customer or the prospect won't, won't ever go in there. But I think that's okay because let's say you have a meeting with them, you can jointly update it, right? And then the other thing that some people love and some people hate is, let's say there was a deadline for a champion to introduce you to the economic buyer, for example. And the system then just sort of nudges them and saying, you know, hey, Jane, it's you're overdue for introducing Matt to Wilma. So, you know, just that, that task reminder. Some, some reps don't like that, but some reps like the fact that the system does it. It sounds like a good idea. The thing that's interesting about that, too, is buying is a team sport. Very rarely are people buying autonomously without involving their team. And so it's always a great sign when you have your champion that's able to introduce new players and introduce the economic buyer. But more often than not, like a a product like what you're referring to would probably be most utilized by the actual economic buyer. And they have an idea of DevSecOps or CRM or what what have you. And then they would loop in the other people from their team. Yeah, I, I definitely see it flow more downhill. And when you have somebody that's able to push it uphill um, and get you know the, the economic buyer and procurement involved, that's a obviously great sign. If people want to find more out about Sneak, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? 
Yeah, honestly, the best way to get in touch is LinkedIn. Uh, so it's Matt Bright, it's Sneak, S-N-Y-K. Uh, so feel free to reach out via LinkedIn. I'm on there all the time, so it's certainly accessible. Well, thanks for sharing your wisdom with us today. All right, have a good one. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.